How was your weekend, guys and girls? Good? I mean, we had, you know, kind of a mixed bag. If you live in Germantown Hills and you're part of the insanity called yard sales yesterday, uh, we had one. I think it's from the spawn of Satan. But anyway, you know, uh, we had one anyway. Our kids wanted to have one to sell stuff, so our kids are grown. And so we had one, and it was successful, so it was a lot of fun. We, I saw a lot of you guys come by. You must be, you know, love that stuff, you know. Uh, I just, that's not my deal, so I'll just be honest with you. So <laughs> it was fun. So we had it. I just want to say something about one of the announcements. Uh, Kevin shared with you a little bit that we're having summer classes. One of the things we do here at Great Oaks is during the year, basically in the fall and in the, and in the winter, spring, we have small groups and we have regular attendance and those. And we encourage everyone to be connected with a small group. And a lot of our small groups in the summer uh, take the summer off or meet sporadically or whatever. And so one of the things we try to do is we try to... Uh, offer in the summertime some short-term classes that deal with some specific topics that people are interested in. So we listen to what people are saying. So this summer we're offering three different ones. It's, in the, it's on the uh, little outline there, but just the three ones that let you know about what they are. Uh, number one is the Financial Peace uh, University. Uh, the majority of folks in our church have been through Financial Peace, but if you've not been through it, there's actually, or you want to go through it again, there's actually new updated material, videos, the whole deal. And now instead of 13 weeks long, it's only nine weeks long. And uh, so we'll be uh, headed up by Mike Micklick, who's headed up other ones before. So we look forward to that. And so uh, it's going to start, uh, I think, the last Tuesday of this month, May 28th, if I'm correct. And then also a couple of new classes we've never had before is um, we have a lot of people that come to Great Oaks that have either a Catholic background or they have people in our family who do and have lots of questions about what does that mean uh, in regard to what does the Bible say about that. So we're having offering a class, six-week class called Biblical Answers to Catholic Questions. And Dan Haney, who is uh, one of our uh, members here at Great Oaks, Dan is a uh, uh, well, grew up Catholic, uh, actually uh, be, uh, became an evangelical Christian a number of years ago, but he's, uh, he's a little bit younger than I am, not a whole lot, but he, uh, Dan is a uh, uh, really sharp guy who is a counselor. Uh, he actually, he's a chaplain over at OSF, a Protestant chaplain there, but also he is a, a finishing up seminary, doing all those things in life and doing that. But he is a, a sharp guy, and he is going to be leading that, that class. And it's going to start in July, it's going to be July and August because... Um, He's going to be also one of our, part of our team that goes to Guatemala in June. So he wants to wait till he gets back from Guatemala to head that up. And then the third class we'll be offering as well as summer is the one, and I can't never remember the exact title of it, but basically it's still in Georgia. I don't can't remember this. But basically uh, the whole concept of the class is dealing from a biblical perspective, dealing with aging parents in a, in a biblically correct way. Uh, some of us who are a little bit older, you know, 40s and 50s probably, start having the issue of dealing with uh, aging parents and how do you deal with all that. And those who are in that or have been into that or seen that happen know how difficult it can be. And so um, we just want to encourage you. Uh, it's a really uh, good uh, class that looks forward to it. I've seen the syllabus. And uh, uh, so we, uh, George's um, mom, right? Uh, George's mom is going to, she deals with that and, and works with that and she's going to come and teach that for us. So, uh, we look forward to that as well. So you can sign up for those classes on the little stand out there in the middle now, but uh, do that. I think the only one, as far as I know, that has a cost is financial peace. And uh, we'll give you some information about that as you sign up for it as well. Okay? Yeah. Okay. We're all here. Last night was prom night in, in Metamore, right? Is that right? Oh, my gosh. Uh, any of you guys go to the prom? No? No. Uh-huh. Oh, sophomores. You can't go to the prom. Sorry. Okay. Well, no, I'm not going to say anything. 
It wasn't one of my favorite things in all time either. So anyway, uh, <clears throat> so anyway, let's, let's talk about what we're going to be the next three weeks. You know, we just finished 31 week session, 31 weeks. Uh, look at overview in scripture. Now this week, this next series we start today is only going to be one tenth of the length of that. I figure I can do math, you know, it's only gonna be three weeks long, but it's going to be, I think an important three weeks as we talk about something that's very, very, um, not only important, but emotional in many people's lives. Uh, among American adults, 50, this is the latest statistics, 51% are currently married, 7% live together with a partner, 8% are widowed, 11% are divorced, and 3% are separated, and 18% have never been married. Now, I know if you're a math major, that, that does not add up to 100%, but the issue is some of these things were rounded off, and uh, so they rounded the higher number, of course, and so we do it that way. And um, the reason, too, is also some of the things are a mystery because not every always answers every question, so some of them are uh, guesses. Uh, but there are some topics that trigger emotions, but probably nothing that triggers emotions like marriage. Because in some ways, marriage is a difficult topic to talk about because it produces such a wide range of feelings. Hope, regret, um, happiness, fear, resentment, disappointment, satisfaction, anger, uh, delight. All those things are, are normal um, emotions when we talk about marriages. And even in the best of marriages, we often find it hard to explain exactly what makes them work as well as they do. Because you'll talk to different people and they'll give you different ideas. But let me tell you this as we start. Let there be no doubt that God values marriage. I mean, even in the very beginning of Scripture, in the creation account, he talks about marriage. He, he, he talks about it here in Genesis chapter 2. Uh, verses uh, 18, 21 through 24, it says this. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Remember, at this point in time, God was in the creation process, and all he created so far was just man. And then it says, So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. So while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, Wow! No, that's not what he said. And he said... This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, for she'll be, she'll be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife and they'll become one flesh. I can tell you that every marriage ceremony that I've ever done, I've used that passage of scripture as one of the passages talking about God created marriage. He created this relationship. See, in God's view, man, men and women were once one. They were a unit with common roots and a shared essence. And they were not only made for each other, they were made from each other. And uh, so the, the interesting thing, it's not just an Old Testament concept because in the New Testament, Paul talks about this as well. And he even uses and quotes the Old Testament in uh, Ephesians 5. And it says this in Ephesians 5, verses 31 and 32. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. You've heard that before, right? In Genesis. But then he adds this really strange little thing here. He says this. This is a profound mystery. If you stop there, that would be enough, right? I mean, how many of you would say that marriage is a profound mystery? How to get it right? How to make it work? You know, it's, is there a formula? Whatever. But then he says, he adds this other thing to it. It really makes it even more difficult sometimes to understand. And it says this, but I am talking about Christ and the church. I thought she was talking about marriage. Jesus, what are you talking about here? So, or Paul, what are you talking about here? The thing is, is what he's saying here, this is what we're going to look at for the next couple of weeks. 
The Bible says that if you want to understand the relationship of Jesus Christ to the church, then look at marriage. And if you want to understand marriage, look at the relationship of Jesus to the church. They're, they're, they're supposed to be similar. They're kind of mirror images in a sense of each other. And so this is what he says this in Ephesians 5 uh, to some verses we're going to look at next week that's earlier in Ephesians 5 that talks about what this relationship looks like. But today what I want to do is I want to lay out the problem. Okay? I want to tell you this. This is a three-week series. It all fits together for the next three weeks. So I would encourage you to be here all three weeks if we'll get the whole thing. Because you will be frustrated the day when you leave and go, well, you haven't solved the problem. Well, no, I'm going to talk about what the Bible says it solves a problem the next two weeks. But I need to lay out the problem this week. Now, if you were here uh, for our last Married Life Live, I addressed this. I talked about this. And this is so you guys are a one-up, but you get to review it today. And the next two weeks you will hear stuff I've never talked to you about. Unless you have an incredible memory. And you were here eight years ago. And you remember this because I did a series eight years ago when we were over at the school. Remember that? That was, that was ancient history. Maybe it was nine years ago now. Uh, we were over to school. I, yeah, it was over. It was maybe ten years ago. I'm just thinking about how long ago this thing was. Because I remember being on the little stage. Remember we used to sit up at a little stage over there at the other school, the elementary school. And, and I got in big trouble. I did. I had somebody in the church. Uh, we called that series I Marriage. And I had somebody in the church make me a giant eye. And I didn't tell them, give them any instructions about what color to paint it or anything like that. But they decided to paint it kind of a yellow color. And it sat on the stage. And I'll never forget the first Sunday after we put that up there. Somebody came up to me and goes, why are you supporting the University of Iowa? <laughs> I'm not from around here, guys. I don't know the deal, you know. They said, you should have painted it orange. And I'm oh, Alina, oh, got it. Okay, I didn't even, it wasn't on my radar. Have you ever gotten in trouble in your marriage for something as innocent as that? No, no. Good intentions, but didn't work out exactly the right way. Well, that's what happened to me. So anyway, this year we got two eyes, but they're white. There is no allegiance. I don't know if there's any school that has a white eye in it, okay? So get over it. We didn't call this series I Marriage. We called this, what did you expect? Um... We're going to be talking about that. So today I want to kind of lay out the issue. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is this. When we get married, what we do is we come into a marriage relationship. And actually, before we get married, we come into our marriage relationship with a box of stuff. Okay? We all do. Everybody has a box of stuff. You know what we call those things? Desires. Desires. And you know, it's, it's all right to have desires because they're God-given right? There's a lot of God-given desires that we have out there. Um, and I will tell you in premarital counseling, anybody I'm going to perform a marriage for, I tell them, you know, I, I'll, you must have premarital counseling. I will not do a marriage unless you have premarital counseling. I think I've done one, one time for somebody that I didn't premarital counseling. Somebody came by my office. There was two 70-plus-year-olds. Uh, They'd both been married for over 50 years. Their spouses had died five years before, and they had 50 years of experience in marriage. And they asked me, would you marry me and not have to do the premarital counseling? Uh, okay, that's my one exception. Okay. Uh, so anyway, but the reason for that is my deal is not to perform wedding ceremonies because truthfully to me, I mean, that's just fluff. I know it's a big deal to some of you guys. But the most important thing is to help you have good marriages because you're going to have 30-minute marriage ceremony. You're going to have hopefully 50 years in a good marriage of a real marriage. Okay? 
But everybody comes into a marriage, everybody comes to my office for premarital counseling for over the last 30 years, and they come in with these, this box of desires, and we talk about them. I said, you know, what, does, what is it you desire in your marriage? What do you desire it to look like? And they'll start talking to me about all kinds of stuff. They'll say things like, well, you know, I desire us to eventually have, you know, a baby, you know? It's a diaper there if you can't see it, you know? It's unused, by the way, and it's, I didn't bring one. I could have brought some used ones because I had some of my grandkids there yesterday. Uh, but that would have been more real, wouldn't it, you know? Um, but, you know, we all, and, and people will talk, I like to have, how many kids you want to have? My desire is to have two or three or none or six or, you know, I found that true in the Midwest. And uh, the thing is, is that we desire, it's, it's a good desire, right? If, if you want, it's a, it's a natural desire. Another thing is, you know, it might have to do with, with time, how we spend our time with each other. You know, we'll talk about it and they'll say things like, well, you know, I want to spend, you know, I want us to have a lot of time together, but I want to have some my time and his time, her time. And, and then we, as far as friends and time, what I want to do is I want to, is I want to spend some time with my friends and, and I want to spend some time with, you know, she spends some time with her friends. And, and I've had one person tell me one time, well, I don't want our friends to ever meet. I didn't really know what that, to make of that, you know. You know, that would be kind of weird, you know. And, you know, and, or, or, you know, based on how you grew up, you know, all of us have desires because we grow up, and I hate to tell you this, but sometimes our, the way we desire things is based on what we kind of grew up with. You might have rigid kind of roles in your, in your relationship. So some guys grow up and they're thinking about, you know, I really want my wife to be just to keep the house clean. You know, that's one of my desires. You know, so this is a feather duster, by the way. It's a big one. But anyway, okay, anyway, and uh, you have that. And, and, you know, one of the things I've had, women, you know, women and guys, but they say, you know, I want my, a lot of women say, I'd like my husband to have a really good job so we can have some really nice stuff. Like, this is a really cool car. Uh, I know you can't see it, but the doors work. It, you know, everything works on this thing, you know. Anyway, it's really cool. I want to have nice cars, nice houses. That's a desire. It's all right to have those desires, but, you know, that's another thing. Or, I know, you know, let me tell you one of the things that a lot of guys, one of their desires, they've talked to me about this, is that their wife would never wear anything like this. <laughs> never. And, and a lot of wives will go, you know, my husband just loves me so much, he doesn't care, he wants to be comfortable. It's a lie. So women go out and throw these away. Do not put them in yard sale boxes. Just cause sin in other marriages. Anyway. <laughs> you know, it's all right to have this box of desires. and Everybody comes into them with them. They're God-given. You know, we have these different things that, that happen in our relationships and all these desires. And the thing that ha that's common about all the desires, though, it's about me. It's about I. It's I, the I problem. And, and what we desire in that box, it's all right as long as they're desires. But when we get married, and when sometimes it doesn't take long, sometimes when people are walking down the aisle, what they do is they begin almost immediately to transfer this stuff in this desire box into another box. They transfer this desire for, you know, cleanliness, this desire for kids, this desire for time, this desire for good stuff, this desire for whatever this represents, you know, in, in, uh, into another box. And the problem is, it's significantly, by the transferring to this other box, it significantly alters the way the relationship works. Because instead of being desires, what they become is expectations.
And there's a huge difference between a desire and an expectation. And I'm going to talk to us about that, this issue today. And then I'm going to talk for the next two weeks about what the Bible says about that and why that's not, why we need to leave all the stuff in the desire box and not put it over here. Because too often what happens, another thing is almost all the time, sometimes in our relationships, what we do is we begin to take these desires and begin to place all of them in the, in the expectation box. And so they become expectations. And instantly, when that happens, when this happens, when these desires that are good desires go into over here, it, it instantly changes the dynamics of the relationship. Because now instead of just one big eye, me, there's two. And the big eyes are in conflict with each other. Because now I want things, it's not just a desire that I'd like to have it happen, but now I expect it to happen. You know, it, and the thing is, is once the two big eyes collide, there's going to be just, I believe there's four options in regard to how you deal with it. When these, when these expectations are not being met, this is number one. Number one, the number one option is people leave. They leave the relationship. They divorce. People will say, well, she is not meeting my needs. Or he is not doing what he said he would do. Or he isn't a good husband. Or she's not a good wife. And the problem is, we just, the problem is, even if you leave, let me tell you what happens. I've seen this time and time again. So people will have this box of desires. They'll leave their relationship. And what they do is they pick up their box of expectations. They go, they leave the marriage. And guess what they do with them? They dump the same box on the next unsuspecting contestant. And they take and they'll say, well, you know, my second marriage doesn't look a lot different than my first marriage. Because they have the same problem. It's a big eye problem. That's the number one option. Number two option, I'm not saying number one is the best option, I'm just saying that's option number one. Now, option number two is the, uh, what I call one partner conforms. One partner conforms. There's this stronger partner, weaker, weaker partner, a, parker, a partner who wants to conform, and this, the bees a peacekeeper. Uh, and everything feel, can feel all right for a while, a relationship, when one partner conforms. But the problem is, it's still, it's still about me. It's still about me. And it's, it's, you know, I don't found this to be true. I don't know if you guys found this to be true or not, but I found it to be true. It is easy to be me. And it's easy for my wife to be her. But it's not easy for me to be her, and it's not easy for her to be me. I can't get that right. Okay. Right? I have never once in the morning woken up and looked in the mirror and go, be me. You don't have to do that, right? You just, you're just me. You're just yourself. It's easy to be you. And, it, and when, when, when it's all focused upon you in this one partner conforms relationship, what happens is for a while it may work because one partner will basically is getting, it's all about the one big eye and the other eye is kind of meeting the needs of the other person and it'll, it'll work for a while. But I don't have any hard data on this, but I do have experience over 30 years of counseling and seeing marriages all the time. And what happens is, if you have this kind of relationship into the 30s and 40s, people in the late 30s, early 40s, this is kind of my view when they get married in their 20s. The thing is, it starts eroding to the place where one person just finally gets fed up with the relationship. It's hard to constantly conform. 
It's stressful. And sometimes people do it out of love. Sometimes they do it out of duty. Sometimes it's to keep the peace. But it doesn't work very long. And the problem is, if that's the case, if it's a conforming marriage, when one person gets their way all the time and the other person kind of gives in all the time, what happens is it's still a big eye marriage. Now the third option is where most people are, just to be honest with you. But I will tell you it's not a biblical option. Not if we look, that's not what we're going to look at for the next two weeks. The third option is what I call a compromise marriage. You do your part, I do my part. We split the bills. We split Christmas here, Christmas there. Uh, you want it this way with the kids, I want it this way with kids. So we're just compromise. Everything's a compromise. We still get some of our way. It's still based upon what I want and what you want, but we don't get everything. We'll get some of it. The problem is it's still a big eye marriage. Because I will do what you will do if you will do what I will ask you to do to a point. But I have to make sure that I get enough of my stuff to make me happy. And here's how you will know if you're in a compromised marriage. You th- say things like this. When you talk and you're having difficulties, you're talking about, or you've been talking about marriage, you're saying, I'm really concerned about my marriage. Or I'm concerned about the marriage. Or I'm tr- I want to say the marriage. The focus of your attention is not a person. It's an idea of marriage. I'm committed to the idea of marriage. And, and never in the Bible, let me tell you this, never in the Bible does the Bible ever tell us to be committed to the concept of marriage. It tells us to be committed to a person. Because I could always get another marriage. If that's my idea. You see, I want Vicky, my wife, to be committed to me, not to the concept of marriage. And she, I know, I don't have to even ask her this, but I've, we've talked about some of this stuff before. She wants me to be committed to her, not the concept of marriage. See, marriage is just a description. It's not the goal. And something else that happens in a compromised marriage, it's based upon, not on a covenant, which the Bible says we're to be based upon, it's based on a contract. I mean, we've had for many, many years this whole idea of, you know, of of prenuptial agreements. And this whole idea of, 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 now I've heard about contract marriage. It's unbiblical. See, in a contract marriage, I can tell you the first thing to go in a contract marriage when it's, you know, we're trying to give and take and, and we feel like that's a great idea, but the problem is it's still based upon what I want and what you want. It's all about I. The first thing to go is intimacy and romance. See, when you were dating, you could not stay away from each other. It was not about a contract, was it? It was, it was about, I'm here for you and you're here for me. But when you settle into this kind of a marriage for the sake of peace in the home, and sometimes compromise may be the first step towards something better, the issue is when you settle it for your space, my space, your friends, my friends, um, your money, my money, we've got it all split out, no more yelling. It's still a big eye marriage. It's still focused on I, I, I. And the thing that God intended for you to experience in marriage, you'll never experience because ultimately you're just still... Ex- just committed to you the main thing is you I it's just another way of managing expectations 
The good news is, and we're going to talk about this for the remainder of the few minutes we have together today, and then next two weeks, is option number four. Option number four uh, is another way to approach it. You don't have to run away. You don't have to conquer and conform. You don't have to compromise. Um, I want to talk about this dynamic. I want to spend this last few minutes because this issue of expectations is so insidious, so subtle that we often cannot define and get out of the get to the bottom of this, but people often simply say things like, well, I just don't like my marriage. And we have been counseling, we've talked, we've read books. We just say, can't seem to get things resolved. And here's why. As long as I am dumping my desires on my wife, and as long as she feels she has to dump her desires on me, when we get to the point where our marriage where we have a marriage that is centered around expectations, the intimacy and the romance and the stuff that makes marriage great. Can I get an amen about that? Last service they had people respond. And they go like, somebody threw out in the middle of amen. And I'm going like, <gasps> this is great, Oaks. Any of you think intimacy and romance is what makes marriage great? Amen. amen. Thank you. Yeah, okay. Thank you. But the thing is, is that's what, if, if it's centered around expectations, intimacy and romance and the stuff that makes marriage great, what happens? It evaporates. It evaporates. And here's why. See, when your desires are translated into expectations, you move from a covenant relationship to a debt-debtor relationship. Another way of expressing an expectation is three words. You owe me. That's an expectation. You owe me. You're the wife. You owe me this because that's what wives do. You're the husband. You owe me because that is what you're supposed to do as a husband. You owe me because you're the provider or you're, you're this or you're that. And so what we do is we take all the stuff that's in here, we dump it into here, and it becomes expectations which directs the marriage. And when we have this you owe me relationship, what happens is the spouse turns around and says, you know something? I remember at our wedding ceremony. Remember those vows? You said this, you know, you said you do da 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 And they'll go like, you owe me. You're supposed to do all those things. You said it before mama and God. But let me tell you something. Here's what I, I, I want you to understand. We could all build a strong case that our spouse owes us something if we wanted to. We could, because they said stuff. We say stuff to each other at the wedding ceremony. The vows are good guidelines. But the issue is, so often we'll just simply say, am I not justified in expecting a few things from my husband or my wife? And here's, and here's what I want you to understand. As justified as you may feel, as justified as you might be, you will still end up in a debt-debtor relationship that will lead to the loss of the things that make marriage what it should be. And here's the deal. Anytime a relationship becomes a debt-debtor relationship, intimacy and romance and trust are gone. Because in a debt-debtor relationship, there is no margin for an expression of the one thing that God wants to be the center focus of our relationship, which is called unconditional love. That's what we're going to talk about the next two weeks. Unconditional. What is God? How do we have that in a relationship? How is that expressed in a relationship? Because, for instance, if my expectation, let's see what I'll pull out of the box. If my expectation, I gotta, I'll be honest with you guys, I like neatness. 
If my expectation is our house will always be neat, and my wife does a great job of this, but if it's an expectation, what do I do when I come home and everything looks great except for one little thing? What do you focus on? Hey, Vicki, did you see that spot on the floor over there? Don't you think you could do a better job? I mean, the whole house may be perfect, but that one little spot on the floor, that's my expectation. Everything is going to be perfect. I mean, I told last, I got in trouble last, last session because I said, you know, I, I really do like neatness. I'm not a neat freak, but I like neatness. The thing is, is that, you, you know, look at the staff's office, and, didn't, uh, and, and I said, you know, uh, if you look at our offices, there's a, there's, there's a difference. Afterwards, we'll offer tours. We'll pay. You know, you can pay for them. Um, my office is by far the neatest office. Right now, it's the messiest it ever gets. It means there's like four pieces of paper on my desk. That's it. You know, everything's in its place. You know, neatness is next to godliness. I thought heard that before. You know, uh, I don't know if that's true, but anyway. But you know, but and then it was funny because after the first service, usually, I mean, I, I know the guy. Hey, it's a desire that I have that everything would be neat. <laughs> I haven't made an expectation yet. Uh, but the issue is, after the first service, somebody came to me. Chris wasn't in here. Chris, bless your heart. And uh, during the, before the first service, his office, I, it must have been driving you crazy, you know. And so he went in there, and actually, before the service, sermon in the last session, he actually went in and straightened up his office. So, Chris, I give you a high five, man. <laughs> that is the neatest your office has been. Thank you. But see, when it's an expectation, the thing is, is that, you know, what happens? If it's an expectation and my wife meets the expectation, where is she at? Zero. You just met the expectation. You're on level ground. That's all happens. And so the thing is, is we understand when we do those type of things, uh, you know, we're not going to throw a big party and celebrate because you're simply doing what I expect you to do. What you promise to do, you're simply meeting expectations and obligations as a husband and wife. And once your marriage, uh, uh, marriage devolves into two big eyes based upon expectations, you owe me, I owe you. As long as we simply com compromise, that's what it's going to be. As long as they're a debt-debtor relationship, it squeezes out the potential for receiving or expressing unconditional love. It squeezes out because love is a gift. Love is a gift that you give someone else. And if everything is expected, there is no opportunity to give or to receive. That is why, that is why you will never receive a personal, in-depth, long, perfume-laced letter with a gift card from your mortgage company. You will not. You know, you know I like this. Dear Bill, dear Bill, once again this month, we want to write and thank you for sending in your mortgage payment. For a long time, we've, received, we've had a wonderful relationship with you and your wife, Vicki, and your kids, Keith and Kara, and we are so appreciative. And, and so, so we, we're so appreciative we've enclosed a gift card for you and your wife, and we didn't know what to give your kids, but if you let us know, next month we'll send you my gift card too. Sincerely, your mortgage company. You will never receive that, right? Why? Why? It's an expectation. You're expected to pay your mortgage. And so when you do, you're at zero with the mortgage company. The only time you will ever receive special attention from your mortgage company is when? When you miss a payment. 
I mean, you'll get a letter, personalized letter from them expressing their disdain at the fact that you could possibly miss. And if you miss enough mortgage payments, you will not only get a personalized letter, you'll get a call and maybe a visit. Because the thing is, it's an expectation. And for some of us in our relationships, in our marriage, that is something that some of you feel in your marriages. It's just, I don't care what you do, it's just zero. It's just an expectation. Because as long as you do everything right, everything is peaceful. But there's not a lot of love. But you mess up, you do leave something undone, you get some personalized attention and really quick. And it's usually not very positive. For most of us, we look for things that aren't right instead of looking for things that are right. You know, I like neat things, and when Vicki does it, I hope that what I will do is say, thank you. You see, I have two options when I come home, and things are are in good shape. I I can desire a a nice, neat, wonderful home to come to, or I can expect it. And if things are in this desire box, my response will be one way. If they're in this box, it'll be a totally different response. If it's here and I just desire for things to be neat, then what happens is when I get home, I'm grateful. But if I expect it, it's just, okay, you met the standard. And so my wife can't love me by keeping the house clean, even though I expect, I, I, I think that's great. That's just zero. Husbands may think that their wife is never grateful for how hard he or she works because they never express it. And the thing is, that's because it's based on an expectation. And as long as it's here in the expectation box, you will live and conduct your marriage from the standpoint of you owe me. And when two big eyes get locked in the battle of you owe me, romance, intimacy, community, connection, it's gone. And every one of the things that we've talked about so far, the compromise, the conform, both of those are based upon you owe me. Now, the strange thing is, as many of us know that, but what we want to know is how do you move stuff from here to here? We're going to spend two weeks talking about that. What God's Word says to us about how to do that, how to live our lives in that way. Now, let me tell you where we're not going with this. I've heard people say some of this before. I think it's crazy. The conclusion is not that we shouldn't have any desires. I believe our desires are God-given. I mean, we have God-given desires like to be cherished, to be, uh, have intimacy, to be loved, to be understood, to be appreciated, to be desired, uh, to be followed, to be listened to, to be taken care of, to be respected. All those things are, are God-given desires. We're not just to become this kind of vanilla, non, you know, yeah, whatever you want type of person. That's not what we're talking about in a relationship. But this, these desires fuel what we put into this box, the desire box, and what we can talk about in, our, in a relationship in a, in a way that doesn't seem offensive. But the minute I put them in these desires into the expectation box, all of a sudden, it becomes you owe me, I owe you. Now, how do you do that? How do you move things from here to there? Desire to expectation. Let me tell you the simplest way to figure out what's in this box. 
This is so simple I could teach a third grader this. You only have to look at two things in your relationship to know what's in the expectation box. Or know if you're living in a relationship that's based upon expectations, you and me. Look at two things. Your expressions of gratitude and your acts of service. Expressions of gratitude and acts of service. See, we don't express gratitude for things we come to expect. That's just her job. That's just his job. That's what he's supposed to do. In acts of service, when you see things that aren't done around the house and, and, and uh, that your husband or wife normally does, do you say to yourself, well, she'll do that, he'll do that? Or do you jump in and help? Take care. You do an act of service. It may not be the thing. You're just a, you've, you know, you've maybe decided this, this is the way. But sometimes it doesn't work that way in the real life. Sometimes you have to do different things. See, it's okay if you want to live over an expectation box. You can stay there if you want to. And all I'm saying is this. When things get difficult, you can't sort it out. It's real simple. You've allowed that legitimate desires to become expectations. And it will erode the marriage. And as long as you're there... If you carry these expectations around, you owe me, your marriage will never be what God intended it for be. Never. Ever. So, that's the dilemma. We're going to talk about what God's for the next two weeks, what God says to us. Let me share, share this. Let's just dream a moment. Let's just dream a moment. Imagine a marriage where everything, everything stayed over here in the desire box. I mean, it's all right to have these desires. You could pull them out and talk about them, but it doesn't seem offensive. How do you get them back? How do you get all the stuff from the expectation box over there? Well, I want to give you a homework assignment. I want to let you begin to work on this. This is incredibly simple, but it's not easy. <laughs> okay. I want you to read three verses of Scripture this week, and then I want you to answer a question. Ephesians 5, verses 21 and 22 and verse 25. You can read all the regular verses around it too, but these are the three verses I want you to read. We're going to talk about these three verses next week in regard to the relationships. And as we look at them, we're going to look at the whole thing about how do you get the stuff from the expectations back here and what is God's plan for, for the fourth option. And then I want you to ask a question. After you've looked at that, I want you to ask this question. What does your spouse owe you? What does your spouse owe you? The answer to that question will let you know where you are. And you might even evaluate your marriage. I don't have this up on the screen, but you might even evaluate and say, what kind of marriage do I think my relationship is? Is it a, is it a conformed, conformity marriage? Is it a compromised marriage? Or am I living life with my relationship with unconditional love? That's what God calls us to do. I hope you'll be with us the next couple of weeks as we explore and take apart God's Word and look at it from these really simple verses, not only in Ephesians, but some verses in next week in First Peter as well that deals with the whole thing of our attitude to one another. I hope we'll, you're challenged to rethink what your marriage is like and to uh, uh, look at it clearly this morning. I hope I've laid it out to you so you can understand the difference there as well. Let's pray. God, we turn to you this, this morning, and we thank you that in, in Genesis you said that you started marriage, you had this purpose for marriage, you, um, the marriage was to be two persons living together, 
uh, committed totally to each other under unconditional, with unconditional love is the, is the way we relate to one another. It's, it's when two eyes, and we're going to talk about this, become a little eye, and, and we'll let uh, the other person, uh, their desires uh, become foremost in our relationship. It's two persons living in that kind of relationship with unconditional love. It doesn't mean we don't have desires, but it means that those desires are, are worked through and, 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 they're, and they're a healthy part of our relationship. We pray, God, that you would just uh, enable each person here this morning uh, to uh, spend some time this week just reading those three verses of Scripture and asking themselves, based upon these three verses, what does it say? Just those three verses alone, and there's tons of other Scripture that could support this as well, but those three verses alone, what does it say to me about the kind of relationship I'm to have with my spouse? For those who are single here, and uh, not yet even to the point of marriage maybe, some of the teenagers and others, that they would look at this and understand that for, uh, right now is the time to understand this stuff before you get married, uh, to understand clearly God's plan for relationships and in doing so they can look forward in the future of having a stable starting off with the right kind of biblical basis and the right kind of attitudes toward marriage we pray god that you would just enable us now to see what it is you have planned for us in a relationship as we unwrap this the next couple of weeks god we pray that you would just uh, make it clear and help each one of us to have the kind of marriage that would just please you god but also would be the kind of marriage that we're where connection and intimacy and romance and all the things that you want to be part of a marriage uh, is, uh, if it needs to be rekindled, is rekindled. And if it's already there, we'll just be strengthened even more. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.